0: Five, four, three, two, one, let's go. Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast in partnership with Kidney Care UK, sharing faith, knowledge, hope, and love. Hi and welcome to Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast. My name is Dee Moore and I am a stage four kidney warrior. This podcast is dedicated to encourage educate and inspire as we explore all aspects of kidney disease, related chronic illnesses and health. If you have any questions or ideas for topics you would like me to cover, please get in contact with me on social media using the handle Diary of a Kidney Warrior. My guest today from London, England is 24-year-old Derricka Simpson. Derricka joins me to share her living donation story of donating her kidney to her father in 2019. Before we begin today's podcast, I wanted to let you know that during Derika's story, we're going to discuss some difficulties she went through as part of her journey as a living kidney donor, which includes descriptions of rare complications she experienced post-surgery. Over 1,000 living donation transplants are carried out every year, And although, like all surgical procedures, complications can arise, the vast majority are without significant issues. Despite the challenges she faced, the outcome was positive and Derek remains an active supporter of living kidney donation. Remember, choosing to donate your kidney is a very big decision and you have the right to change your mind about donating at any time, right up until the operation itself. You should research and talk it through with your family and friends, as well as your own doctor. You can find support and information about living kidney donation from the leading kidney patient support charity, Kidney Care UK, and Gold, Gift of Living Donation, which helps raise awareness of living kidney donation in the black community. Details of both organizations can be found in the episode description. Hi and welcome to Diary of a Kidney Warrior, the podcast. How are you doing today, Dereka?
1: I am doing well. Thank you so much for having me. How are you today? I am
0: good, thank you. I am really looking forward to interviewing you today because, as everyone knows, I really enjoy interviewing the people who I call superheroes. These are the amazing people who have given the gift of life to someone else by donating an organ. And so, yes, today we're going to be talking about your living donor story. And like I said, truly are a, a superhero. So welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you. Thank you. I take it with pride.
0: My first question is, how did your kidney donor journey begin?
1: So my kidney donor journey began in June 2018. That was when I initially found out that my dad was diagnosed with end stage kidney disease and the nurses kindly explained the options to us, which was that he would either be put in dialysis because his kidney function was at a fatal level or he could have a donation from a living or a deceased donor. But as we all know, living donation is usually preferred because the matches are better and also the kidney life tends to last longer. So that was when I actually nominated myself as an organ donor.
0: So that was a very big, a very brave decision to make. I mean, for a young person such as yourself and at the time, how old were you at that time? So I found out
1: when I was 21 years old.
0: So very, very young and a very big decision to make. I mean, at that time... Did you realize
1: the seriousness of the decision? No, I actually did it as it came off as second nature. And then later on, I was then given research from the kidney team. They taught me through the entire process. But before my dad was diagnosed, I had no idea as to what happens in organ donation. Like I had no clue at all. So it was a big decision. Indeed, I do agree.
0: So as a a young person, as a young woman, were you concerned at all that donating a kidney may affect your future plans in terms of starting a family and having children of your own?
1: Yes, of course. I raised these queries with the nurses whilst I was trying to get myself familiar with the process, whether I would actually undergo it and so forth. And they explained everything to me, and in addition to that, they also did almost every test there is on the face of this earth to ensure that I was mentally and physically well to actually donate. I was impressed with how prepared and to what extent the team was willing to go to ensure that I was fully informed about the organ donation process and also what my life would look like after donation, and that definitely gave me the confidence to donate. And in addition to that, I've never seen my dad ill. So it really took a toll on me. And I just really wanted him to get back to living a normal life.
0: That's so touching that you love your dad so much and wanted him to be well and willing to donate such an amazing gift. So did any of your family members have any concerns about you donating?
1: So, of course, my family was concerned. I think most of the concern came from my mom because I'm so young. She was just concerned as to whether I'll be able to have a baby. Because like I said, me or my family have never encountered kidney disease up until this point. So it was new for all of us. So we all had concerns. But like I said, the renal team at Guy's were so reassuring in helping us along the journey. And also, they definitely took the time out to do the test and to go through the process as many times that I needed. So I was well reassured that that the process would have been safe and comfortable for me after donation. So after you
0: got these reassurances and obviously talked with your family and felt comfortable to proceed, what was the process like? How did the process begin? What happened first?
1: If I am being completely honest, I was a bit naive before I started the process. So in my head, I had assumed that I meet the kidney team. They tell me the process. They do a few tests, ensure that we're a match. We do the donation. And then after that, life would be simple. But it was actually the opposite. I had a few complications. So initially, once I volunteered as a donor for my dad, they had to go through the entire test of actually making sure that I was his child. And I found that funny because I didn't even know that cases like that happen where a family member nominates themselves. And then in the long run, they found out that actually this person is not my dad or not my mom. So we had to go through the genetics check. And then following that, we had a few more intrusive tests. pap smear, they did everything that at my age, I wouldn't have done. You know, in the UK, you only do a pap smear. I think when you're 25 and above and I had to do one at 21 years old So it was quite eye-opening for me and quite scary if I'm being honest I had to do heart tests I had to do I can't list all of them but it was a lot of tests and it was almost I would say every two weeks I had to do blood tests as well so that was a bit scary because initially I had a phobia for needles so I had to have psychological support as well just to help me get through the blood test stage and then also following that Once we were a match and everything was happy, they then tried to find other options because I was so young and I was a woman. They didn't want me to be the only donor that my dad had, essentially. So we started looking outside the family and so forth, but it didn't work out in the end. I had to have private treatment. So like I said, I went back to the psychologist because it was really difficult and I'm not going to make it sound any prettier than it is because it is a life-changing surgery. And like I said, I was only 21, so it was new to me. The most severe surgery that I had before that was a tooth extraction, and that is nothing compared to donating an organ. So once we finished all of the genetic tests, once we found out that we were matched, sadly, my dad's renal case was getting worse, so he had to start dialysis. Whilst he was doing dialysis, they have two different teams, so he was getting treated with the dialysis team and they're also called the recipient team. And then I was with the living donor team. So we didn't really cross at any time, which I really appreciate because I really, I find the value in confidentiality and insensitivity. You have to also see the pharmacology team so that they ensure that you're getting the right medication and everything is suitable and tailored to you as the living donor. Once we finished those, we then moved on to the psychological exams. So you actually have to have a psych evaluation. They just want to make sure that after donating, you're going to be emotionally, mentally, spiritually, all the as well. So if they feel like you may be bribed or if there's any kind of, I don't know, doubt in whoever's evaluating you, they will either refer you to another team where you can get the help that you need and then you can come back into the donation process. Or sometimes it's just a flat no, and you can appeal your case, I think, once. We got declined on our first try, and I had to have further tests. And then following that, I think that took about three to four months. After that process, we then went back into the donation pool. So once we were back into the scheme, we then had another psych evaluation, and we got or go ahead to have surgery. And we had our first surgery date, which was... Initially meant to be the end of October, that got cancelled like two days before the surgery. And then we got the official surgery date, which happened in November 2019.
0: Wow. So that really is a lot that you had to deal with in terms of physical testing and in terms of the psychological side and how this would affect you. And it's very interesting that they would actually question. Parentage, like that must have been a very difficult thing. And given the fact that you can donate to a stranger, I'm trying to understand why that would even be a factor, whether your father was your biological father or not. So I'm kind of wondering why they were going down that road. And I mean, the impact for yourself must have been very difficult to even have that question thrown out there.
1: I think one of the reasons for them doing the cells is that people need to be informed so if I was a donor and I thought that this man was my dad and I was solely giving him the kidney because of love and because he's my dad it wouldn't be truthful if they let me donate on that cause if I wasn't his daughter so I think they were just trying to make it ethically safe and as transparent as possible for everyone for all parties they wouldn't deny me if I wasn't his daughter if I still wanted to donate they would allow me if I'm physically well and all the tests were completed, but it's just a safety measure so that everyone is informed as to where they stand in the donation process. And also they wanted to check to make sure that later on in life, I wouldn't develop kidney disease. So they also needed to check myself. So that's just another test that was done. With the psychological test, it doesn't only happen to families. It's everyone that wants to donate has to have the psych evaluation. And maybe I'm not using the correct term, but it's essentially just a process where you sit with someone from the kidney board. It's no one that you've seen before. It wouldn't be a clinician. I believe my person was a deacon or someone from some religious belief. And they question you, the living donor privately, the potential living donor at this point in time. And they also question the recipient, just to ensure that no one is being bribed, no one is buying a kidney. No one is being forced into anything, whether that's direct or indirect. And that's just to ensure that after donating, you are also ethically safe. And it is a requirement from the kidney board in Europe. It's not just the UK. This happens in Europe. And if they say no to you, you can't legally donate in Europe.
0: So you went through a very, very thorough investigation, all the testing, the checks physically, the checks psychologically you pass through all of these and the legal checks as well so you got your date for your surgery what happened next how did the surgery go
1: so the surgery went well initially on the first day my dad's body accepted the kidney that was one of my biggest fears so that went well and he woke up I woke up from the anesthesia I experienced quite a few complications. So my dad was fine, but me personally, the living donor, I experienced quite a few. I experienced severe itching from the anesthetic for the first couple of hours when I came out of surgery. Following that, my left leg stopped working. I say working because I wasn't able to move the leg and it was changing temperatures at two extremes. It was extremely cold or it would be extremely hot. And that was concerning for everyone, including the doctors, because no one could pinpoint what was happening. Wow! Because of that, I wasn't able to do the usual stuff that donors do. So usually a donor would be discharged, usually two to three days post-surgery. And I actually stayed on the ward for about seven to 10 days. I can't remember the exact day, but it was quite an extended time. My dad actually left the hospital before me, which we all found hilarious. And uh, the other complication that I had was a few months post-surgery, I experienced signs of PTSD and also trauma. But other than that, it was fine. So you faced
0: a lot of physical and psychological challenges along your kidney donation journey and This isn't so easy to talk about, but I think it is important that we do talk about this because with this podcast, I want people to get the whole picture. And sometimes telling the whole picture is sharing things that are that bit more difficult to talk about. But I think it's important, having said that, that we do share about this so that people have the whole picture. I think that you can only make a truly informed choice if you know the whole picture. And so although it's very difficult to talk about this, I think it is important that we do. But also recognising that what happened to yourself is rare and doesn't happen all of the time. But we still need to address and talk about this and share about this during this interview.
1: I completely agree with you, Dee. Thank you.
0: Starting with the physical challenges that you experienced, how long did it take for these to subside and for things to go back to normal?
1: Okay, so the first one that I mentioned was the itching, and that took about a day. The clinicians ordered the cream, I don't know the name of it, and then that was delivered to the ward, and that was fine. Once I rubbed it on, it was fine. And then following that, I completely forgot to tell you guys, but the stitching that they did to close up the wound, the stitching was actually a tad bit too big for my body. It felt as if it was piercing through my stomach. So I couldn't stand for longer than two hours. So I actually had to have a follow-up surgery, which happened in end of February, if not early March. But that was a day case. I had no issues with that. And then the leg that you guys are concerned about, that took me about seven to 10 days for me to actually be on crutches. So whilst I was on the ward, I had physio where the physiotherapist would come to the ward and actually do exercises with me just to get the leg working again whilst they were running their tests to find out what was wrong with the nerve and so forth. Then lastly... The other challenge that I faced, which I shared with you guys, was psychological problems. And that was a bit delayed in me getting assistance because my initial psychologist left the UK following the pandemic. My surgery was in November. The pandemic started in about February. So the time was very close. So the kidney team was actually out of a psychologist for quite some time. So that meant that I had delayed treatment. But now I'm completely fine. And I'm happy that i went through it and if i could i would do it again because my dad is back to having a normal life wow i mean it really
0: i don't i'm speechless to be honest you really really faced some massive massive complications and challenges i mean for someone listening they might be thinking oh my gosh i could never ever donate a kidney if that's the type of thing that could happen and i mean the final thing that you said is that you would actually do it again so even though you've been through all of that you still feel positive about living donation
1: yes i would do it again because i think everyone deserves a second chance and especially my dad just seeing him live his life just doing daily stuff that he wasn't able to do whilst he was on dialysis makes it all worthwhile and also the organ donation team made the process as seamless as possible wow
0: a real real genuine superhero did yeah, they no. <laughs> did they ever work out what caused the problem with your
1: leg yes but before i get there i must say that this is not common Everyone that saw me on the ward, I'm talking about the multi team. It was either the first that they were seeing it or it was the first they were seeing it. It doesn't happen often. So my case was like an anomaly. So the assumption as to what happened with the leg is that because of how it was positioned on the table, they think that the nerves were sleeping And then they just had a delayed wake up. So I wasn't, the leg wasn't hurting. It was just that it wasn't moving. I couldn't lift my leg up. I couldn't bend my toes. Like the foot was just there on my body. But my other leg was working fine. Right. And we did all the scans. We saw the, the nerves doctor, everyone. And then eventually when I was seen by the nerves doctor on the clinic, he was quite confident. He's the one that reassured me that I wasn't losing my leg. Because the nerves were there, they were just sleeping, they're not dead. So that was, that was reassuring to me, that was calming.
0: Wow, you really experienced so many severe challenges. I mean, for anyone listening, they might be thinking, oh my gosh, oh my goodness, I couldn't possibly go through all that. But you still, from what you're saying, even though you've been through all of that, you're still positive about living donation. So do you have any regrets about donating?
1: I'm really positive about organ donation because it is saving a life. So that's the main thing. And I would do it again for sure, but I only have one regret and that's not getting psychological support post-donation. From my experience, I found it beneficial having psychological support pre-donation. So I know it would have done a world of good had I had it immediately after donating.
0: So I know that after going through this experience and, and during going through this experience, you've actually paid it forward and shared online about your experiences and doing work in terms of organ donation. So. Tell me about how you're sharing your experience online and how you're paying this knowledge forward.
1: Okay, so I think it's very important for us to have representation within the Black community. And when I was doing my donation, when I was going for research, I couldn't see anyone that was Black and British that looked like me, that was young from the Caribbean. So I actually documented my entire organ donation journey and I share it on my YouTube channel which is Jada Talks, that's T A L K S. And in addition to that, I also share my experience with kidney improvement organizations, and I work alongside GOLD, that's the Gift of Living Donation team, where we have the Peer Body Scheme, which basically allows you, either a recipient, a potential living donor, someone that's just facing kidney disease, be it a family member, any, anything of that sort. It allows you to speak to someone who has actually already been through the process. So you would be able to speak with a living kidney donor or someone who has received a kidney. And I found that so beneficial again, because I said there's a lack of representation from black people. And that's what Gold is all about, raising awareness and representation. Within the organ donation community for minority groups.
0: I think that is so amazing that you chose to share your journey online, which is a very brave decision. It's not easy to share your story, something so personal with the world online or social media. But I think it's so important to do that because it helps so many people who are going through it. And for people to see, Someone from their own community, someone who is young, someone that they can relate to. You know, that, as you said, that representation I think is absolutely key and amazing. So, credit to you and well done for doing that because, you know, who feels it knows it. I really think that when you talk to somebody who's actually been through it, clinicians, who haven't been through that journey personally, they may have seen it, but it still isn't the same as actually going through it. So, to be able to walk somebody through that process is really credit to you. It's really amazing.
1: Thank you, Dee. And I think the same about you as well. You are doing the same thing with this podcast. So, thank you so much for bringing us along your journey and for also sharing so many our other- incredible experiences that people have faced within the kidney community
0: thank you so do you have any advice for somebody who is considering living donation a young person such as yourself that maybe is a family member or a friend or whoever it might be that they're considering being a donor what would you say to that person
1: I would say for one do your research thoroughly. So in the past 2 years there has been a lot of new content like this podcast, like my YouTube channel, like the peer body scheme that wasn't there when I was actually doing my work up towards surgery. So make use of those do as much research as you possibly can. Two, I would say be open and honest with everyone involved in your living donation process so that's from your family members to the clinicians to the surgeons because the more transparent you are the more possibility it opens for people to actually assist you and also always remember that you can withdraw at any given time you can withdraw on the day of the surgery you can withdraw literally right before they actually inject you you can withdraw at any given time so take that and then also get psychological support Even if you feel like you don't need it, it's worthwhile just giving it a shot because you never know when you might actually need it. So prevention is always better than cure.
0: Thank you. That's really good advice. Do you have a final word for the listeners?
1: My final word to the listeners would be to try to be as supportive and kind and proactive to people that are actually within the kidney community to do as much research as you possibly can especially if you're from the BAME community because there isn't enough representation for us so the more that you can do to proactively help someone within that community is the better it will be for all of us in the long run and if you can't donate an organ you can start by donating blood you can start by volunteering with the gold community you can start by helping notes at hospitals and volunteering. So that would be my final advice.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your story, for sharing how you've overcome so many challenges, but despite all the challenges you've come through it and paying it forward, supporting and helping others. And as I said, truly a superhero. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you for having me, Dee. It was a
0: pleasure. Thank you for listening to Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast. And don't forget that you can contact me on social media using the handle Diary of a Kidney Warrior. Please do subscribe to the podcast and please do tell a friend. New episodes of this podcast are released every other Monday. Until next time, take care and choose to live. Diary of a Kitty Warrior Sharing Faith, Knowledge, Hope and Love